Welcome to the Elijah Streams podcast. Our mission is to encourage you in your faith through a unique blend of patriotism and prophecy. And now here's your host, Steve Schultz. Well, it's almost Happy New Year, everyone. A couple more days and it will be 2023. Welcome to the broadcast. I am Steve Schultz, host of both the Elijah List right here and Elijah Streams as you're viewing it. Uh, we are in year 25 of bringing you the voice of the prophets and uh, God's really blessing us with favor. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this, uh, watching this and learning as much as we're learning along with you all the different things. So we've got a great guest today with Dave Hayes, praying medic, and we'll have him tell a little quick version of his uh, testimony so you know why in the world he's named praying medic. And uh, it'll be great. It's a great show. I've been looking forward to having Dave back on for for a long time. So, all right. I think that's the main thing. I was not, what happened Monday is I, uh, we woke up at four in the morning because we run a fan and all of a sudden the fan stopped and the the few night lights we have went off and, and until the show was going and then the house was freezing. So uh, we didn't do, I did not tape those two shows on Monday. And then the one that was taped for, uh, for, how did I go? Yeah, then then, then, I, then that one ran on Tuesday, if I'm getting this right. Or the one that they taped ran away. I forget what it was. Somehow I got out. I didn't do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's all running together now for me. Uh, all right. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. It's going to be great today. So uh, we're going to bring Dave here in just a minute. But go ahead and we want to show you our latest spot regarding the world. These are great spots. Caitlin's doing for us. Here we go. Thank you so much for helping us. We are uh, in a couple of days. We will be at 77 wells. You know, we started, I think, the year at six, and then we went to seven. And now we're doing nine wells a month. So every three days, uh, we we drill a brand new well in Uganda. And we're now looking at. Uh, we've actually done three wells in uh, Nepal, and we're looking into Ethiopia as well. So we're really helping those who are uh, extremely impoverished people that need clean water just to live. So uh, God has really blessed this ministry for us doing that. We appreciate his favor. So anyway, welcome, welcome to the show today. I'm going to bring in Dave uh, Hayes now. So without further ado, here, here, here comes praying medic. Well, it's been too long, Dave. Good to see you. Hey, Steve. It is good to be back on the show. Uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Lots happening these days, huh? There is a lot happening. <laughs> <laughs> you must have people I was a little stressed in. out the last week or two with all the stuff going on here in Maricopa County. But uh, as you said, let me do a quick intro yeah. to the people who don't know who I am. Yeah, uh, I go by the name Praying Medic. That's the name that I write under. It's a, it's a pen name. I've written, uh, let's see, I think 14 books wow. under the name Praying Medic. Most of the books are on the supernatural, healing learning to see in the spirit, traveling in the spirit, hearing God's voice, uh, you know, physical and emotional healing. So I write under the name, where the heck did I get the name Praying Medic from? Well, uh, in 2009, uh, well, in 2008, actually, God uh, appeared to me in a dream and told me he wanted me to pray for my patients and that he would heal them if I did. Now, I was working as a paramedic at the time, and I was a Christian, but I didn't believe in healing and miracles. Wow. So that was a little bit of a challenge. I started praying for my patients. I prayed for people every day on duty for about 
nine months and didn't see anyone healed. Were you praying? <laughs> hey, Dave, were you praying under your breath or were you openly praying for them? No, I was I, a little bit of both. A little both. Sometimes, it, it, you know, this was in the ambulance. I would sometimes just pray quietly, mm -hmm. but it was always, Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. Well, I know that prayer. I prayed that right? millions of times. Yeah. And after, you know, three or 400 uh, of those episodes of no one getting healed, uh, I started watching some people who were having success in healing, started watching Todd White. He was one of the big influences in, in my wow. ministry and healing. I read the John Wimber's book, Power Healing. And then I learned about this thing called authority <laughs> and, and releasing power. And that that radically changed uh, what I saw. I started seeing people healed miraculously. And so in 2009, I started writing uh, an anonymous blog under the name Praying Medic. And I wrote about the patients that I prayed with who got healed. And it just kind of snowballed into a Facebook page and some books and wow. a YouTube channel. <laughs> So I just, I just go by praying medic. That's that's where I came from. Yeah, I know you you've probably written a book on authority. Do you have one? I have on? I'm writing a book right now on power and authority. Give me give me a 60 second uh what do you mean by authority and and did you learn to somehow take authority? Is that what happened? Exercise authority. Okay. Right. So in I would say in Pentecostal and charismatic churches there's a lot of misunderstanding about the issue of authority. A lot of people have been taught that you take authority or you claim authority, right? So when, when someone is, um, you know, struggling with a, a demon mm -hmm. and we're trying to get this demon cast out of them or they've got some other illness, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I claim my authority. You know, they're claiming authority and all this other stuff. That's, that's, not, how, that's not how authority works. Um, in, in Luke chapter nine, uh, verse, verses one and two, it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them power and authority over demons and to heal diseases, right? He gave them power and authority, two things for deliverance and for healing and miracles. Power, when we release power, we release the power of God to work a creative miracle. When we exercise authority, we command demons to leave. We command wow. tumors to leave. It's wow. an exercise of authority. We Jesus gave us authority to command sickness and disease and evil spirits to leave. So we exercise authority and we release power. And my upcoming book that I'm working on as fast as I can, uh, in between all the election stuff that's going on, yeah. is going to be uh, specifically on the issues of power and authority, what they are, how they work, uh, clearing up some misconceptions and a lot of testimonies about people that we've seen set free uh, by exercising authority and releasing power. That's really good. Boy, I'm looking forward to, to hearing that book. Yeah, the very first time you talk about uh, the, the the prayer about if it be thy will, Lord, yeah, the very first healing I ever saw, God showed favor to us because we didn't have, know any of that stuff and we weren't doing any of that stuff or taking authority, but we had thought to, that the Bible said, well, if you pray for the sick, they'll get healed. So we decided to try it. So our friend Claudia had this debilitating arthritis, like this kind. She was 29 years old, but that's how it went. It was her poking through her shoes. And so we all got together around this table. We said, well, you know, let's try it. 
we didn't have any, we hadn't even heard of the vineyard yet, although we heard about it soon after that. We said, let's just try it. So we went to the cupboard and found some Western cooking oil, <laughs> vegetable oil. Put them in the oil. We don't know. They're supposed to put oil. So we put the oil and we literally. Anointing oil. Uh, yeah. We got some Western cooking oil. Yeah. And we literally said, Lord, if it be thy will, we were still praying in King James. And, and uh, you know, so this is not a story about taking authority. This is a story where God breaks through regardless. Yeah. So we said that. And we didn't know anything about power. And we did, we prayed for about 10 minutes till nobody could think of any more thighs and thous. And, and Claudia gets up, excuses herself, and goes to the back room and finds herself catching herself falling under the power of the Spirit after she went back. And she comes up the hallway. And my wife, this is like 1982, okay, 40 years ago. My wife and her meet, their eyes meet. And my wife, out of somewhere from deep inside, she just knew. She looked at Claudia and she goes, Claudia, you're healed, aren't you? And she goes, I don't understand it. Nothing hurts. Nothing hurts. And she started doing all that stuff. I mean, it's the it's the most profound miracle I've ever seen. And God graced us one time for free. With can, can I can I talk yeah. a little bit about that dynamic? Yes, please do. Please do. All right. So um, what happened to your friend Claudia is God honored your prayers you prayed. You didn't know about authority. You didn't know no. how to release power. Lord, if it is thy will, <laughs> heal, <laughs> heal your servant. And she goes in the bathroom and she falls under the power of God. God's manifest presence hits her. And the power of God, power, yeah, uh, healed the arthritis and maybe cast out a spirit from her. So, And she felt that, comes out of the bathroom healed. So God did a sovereign miracle in response to your petition. And God will heal people through petitions. You can say, Lord, I ask you to heal me. Uh, he may yeah. <laughs> sovereignly hit you with his power and heal you. But another way you can do it is we can actually release power. That's and good. so there's, you know, we, we're learning. Yeah. You know, this is 40 years ago. We're all, we're all learning. We all yeah. make mistakes and we learn and there's more efficient ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, that was really good. You know, I love the whole concept, everything from what you said to that. We're just, I feel like I'm still a kid learning about, I can't wait to Me hear too. and read all about exercising authority because why? Because we're not seeing as much healing as we'd like to see, you right. know? And right. uh, I just found I, I out- I learned every, with every testimony that I get on my Telegram channel, and I post testimonies every day from people who email us. I learn a little bit more about the supernatural and about how God heals people through each testimony because they're all different. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like there's, you know, I used to think he's got 50, 60 ways to heal. He's got trillions of ways. There's no two that he ever does it like. Is I got an email from a dude who's, who knows he's got some demons that have been tormenting him. And he has a dream the other night. He sent me this email and in the dream, he is casting out a demon right? He's, he's talking to this demon and he's commanding it to leave with great authority in the name of Jesus. He commands his demon to leave and the demon go, it come, pops out. It's all frightened and scared. It runs away from him. He wakes up in the morning and his affliction is gone. Oh my goodness. He had been dealing with depression and fear and sadness. And he just had this, uh, he, he just felt terribly depressed, sad, and discouraged. And he knew it was a demon. In the dream, he delivered himself of this demon, and he that woke up incredible. the next day feeling completely 
healed, set free, optimistic, felt great. Everything was good. Uh, it just amazes me. The it's way amazing God what God, I got to, you know, I'll, one, the most profound thing that ever happened is kind of like that, only it was a totally different situation. In a dream, there was a guy in our fellowship, this is 30, almost 30 years ago, and he was unrepentant into drugs, and he just kept saying, I'm stopping, and he would go and, and just, he was unrepentant. Uh, but I mean, I love the guy. He was, a, he still would try to come. Okay. So I'm in, I'm sleeping. I have this dream. And in the dream, it was very, very real. And he walks up to me and I said, and I'm, from the best of my m memory, this was the phrase I said, I said, I turn you over to Satan until you make Jesus your own. Now I would never do that in my waking hours. Trust me. I'm not telling anybody to do that because it says <laughs> there was only a very rare thing that you were ever supposed to turn someone over to Satan. It was extreme. So I would have never done that. So I wake up shortly after that. I found out he was just arrested and accused of first degree murder and he's still in prison. That wow. was 30 years ago. So God, I did it in a dream, but why does God, <laughs> it's like God just, if he can't do it another way, maybe he just, he does the dream yeah. thing. I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah. If, if our, if our soul is intimidated, afraid, unwilling to take the steps necessary, sometimes in a dream, We'll take the steps necessary. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to further make sure anyone got, I would never, ever, without the help of a lot, a strong apostle, turn someone over to Satan unless I absolutely knew that I knew it was God. But in the dream, I, you know, I was captive. I did what I did in the dream. But right. anyway, just to be clear. Well, Dave, we could talk for a long time about all this, but uh, maybe let's jump in. You've got a lot of stuff that's coming forward, especially through Twitter. I'm just going to turn it over. I've got you know, the same notes. I'd love. Can't wait to hear what. Okay, what you want to talk about Arizona elections first? Yes, please. Yeah, them? go ahead. Uh, so, update on what's happening in Arizona. So, if if you haven't been following the Kerry Lake election uh, challenge and the ruling by the judge in Maricopa County and the appeal process, uh, I'll give you kind of a, a you know a, a quick synopsis of all that. Carrie Lake filed an election challenge after losing the election to Katie Hobbs by 17,117 votes. She filed the challenge. Uh, it went to a two-day hearing. She presented evidence and witnesses. A lot of scandalous information came out during the hearing, uh, including um, Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richard, who committed perjury on the witness wow. stand. Uh, including the co-director of Maricopa County, co-director of elections, Mr. Jarrett. Um, looks like he also committed perjury. <laughs> I don't understand. He, he initially testified that uh, when Carrie Lake's attorney asked him if it was possible for a 19-inch ballot image to be printed on a 20-inch ballot in a Maricopa County election, he said no. Couldn't happen, didn't happen. Don't know what you're talking about. Couldn't happen. Didn't happen. The next day, or sorry, that later that day, when uh, the when Carrie Lake's attorney called his witness um, Clay Harik, who examined all the ballots in Maricopa County, he said he said he found 19-inch ballot images printed on 20-inch ballots in six of the six voting locations that he uh, sampled. 
he was allowed under this challenge to take samples of ballots from six different voting locations. There are over 220 voting centers in Maricopa County. He was allowed to sample six of them. And in all six of the locations that he sampled, they found mutant 19 inch ballot images printed on a 20 inch piece of paper. And under testimony, under, under oath, when, um, when the elections code elections director, Jarrett was asked if a 19 inch ballot image printed on a 20 inch paper was fed into a tabulator, what would happen? And Jarrett said, um, it would be rejected. And, and we know that it would be rejected because there's timing marks and registration marks that are required to be in the correct place for the tabulator to read the ballot yeah. and correctly score all of the, the votes. That's a 20 inch image on a 20 inch piece of paper. So they found, Clay said that he found a hundred over a hundred 19 inch ballot images printed on 20 inches of paper out of out of the let's see he ins, I'm sorry he inspected I think 115 ballots and found 42 or 43 19 inch images Gee. on 20 inch ballots around 40% of the ballots that he inspected were uh they were not their ballots that should not have been in the system. In other words, they're so fraudulent. They're What's counterfeits. That? They're counterfeits. They're 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 not strictly speaking, they're not counterfeits because they were printed at the vote centers. Right. So in Maricopa County, and then this this is a bit more uh <laughs> more detailed, but it's it's a huge issue. Um we we do things weird here in Maricopa County. Hmm. Any voter from any uh, legislative district, any precinct in Maricopa County can go to any of the 220 vote centers in the count county and vote wherever you want. When you present your voter ID, they're going to uh, print a custom ballot just for you based on your home address. So your uh, legislators, the ones that are on the ballot in your district, any, um, any of the offices, countywide or statewide, for your address are gonna be printed on a custom ballot for you. They're gonna put that information into a ballot printer and that ballot will print out a ballot just for you. Really? And there are uh, thousands and thousands of ballot definitions that they have stored on these printers in Maricopa County so that anyone from any district, any precinct can go to any voting location and get a ballot that's that is printed for them. In most places in the, in the country, you go to your precinct where you live, your nearby voting yeah, precinct. Right. They have a ballot for your precinct and everybody who comes in is from the precinct and they vote one ballot. It's not how they do it here in Maricopa County. Hmm. Uh, and and what's, what's coming out of this hearing is the idea that they have 20 inch ballot images and they have 19 inch ballot images. And some of the people are getting the 19 inch ballot image and some are getting the 20 inch ballot image. Well, what is that? And when you, know, you, when you feed issue, a ballot that into even a tabulator with a 19 inch image, it gets rejected. It gets thrown in a box, in a bag, goes down to the county center and they, they um, send it to adjudication or they copy it 
or they, they do something with it, it doesn't get tabulated at that point. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Streams podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, go to ElijahStreams.com slash give. What, what you know, you may have to dumb this down for me. Who is, is it, uh, were the 19 inches, are they meant to, to not be taken through and counted? Did somebody make this system so that if it's a 19, it won't get counted? Is that what's yes. going on? Okay. Yes. It looks like they intentionally created a 19-inch ballot image that they print on a 20-inch ballot stock paper intentionally so that it will not be tabulated. Oh, man. It'll be rejected, and then it'll go down to the county. It won't be counted right away. It goes into the county system somewhere, and they tell the voter, hey, we're going to tabulate your ballot down at MECTEC. Uh, it's okay. Just put it in this drawer. It, it, we'll, we'll take care of it. it. It's all good. So uh, the co-director of elections here in Maricopa County, Jarrett, said when, after Clay Perique testified, that he found mutant 19-inch ballots at all six of the voting centers that he sampled. Jared's testimony was the, the next day, he changed his story. Oh, wow. They, he concocted what I believe is a fake story because they got caught. Their, their little 19-inch uh, mutant ballot, which I think was designed to disenfranchise uh, Republican day of election voters because these ballots were only found on the day of election. And they knew that Republicans turn out three to one against Democrats on the day of election because everyone, <laughs> Trump and everyone's been telling Republicans, don't do the vote by mail thing. Bring in your ballot on the day of election, vote in person, right? So the county had planned and the county knew that there was going to be a three to one uh, numerical advantage on election day, Republican to Democrat. So it looks like they created a ballot style that would intentionally be rejected by a tabulator so that those ballots would then go down to downtown and they could do whatever they want with them. Now, here's where it gets problematic. Clay also said, not on the witness stand, he said this in an interview with a friend of ours named CanCon. And he said that uh, when he was sampling the ballots, all right, these 19-inch ballots, they told us, Jarrett testified on, on the witness stand, that those ballots are duplicated and tabulated downtown. When Clay went and he looked at these 19-inch ballots and he found of the, uh, he found 14 out of 15 of the, they, get, they allowed him to sample 15 duplicate ballots of the 14 of them Four, of the 15, 14 of them were the 19-inch printed ballot on a 20-inch piece of paper. And by state statute, when a ballot is rejected and it's going to be uh, duplicated, the duplicate and the original have to stay together. There's a serial number. There's a tag that goes on, on the original, and there's a serial number sticker that goes on the other one, and they have to stay together. He said... They did not produce any of the duplicate ballots when he did his inspection. He saw 15 ballots that were supposed to be duplicated, and none of them had the duplicate ballots with them. All he saw was the original. And when he asked the county people, they said it would take us a week to find the duplicates. We don't know where they are. These are the originals. 
right? So they had no evidence that any of those ballots were duplicated, which is what they testified on the witness stand. This, uh, the co-director of elections said those ballots are duplicated and then they're tabulated downtown, but they did not produce any duplicates. So there's all, there's all kinds of problems going on here in Maricopa County. And, and Carrie Lake is, um, she, she brought 10 charges in her election challenge wow. to court. The judge dismissed eight of the 10 charges, allowed two of them to go to trial. She had a five hours to present testimony and evidence. She did. The judge said, you didn't prove your case. The, he dismissed the other two charges. So Carrie Lake is appealing all 10 of the original charges to the Arizona uh, Court of Appeals. And she's also going to file with the Arizona Supreme Court. You knew, uh, did she do that at the same time? Yes. Yeah, so okay, wow. she filed a notice of appeal yesterday, okay. which is essentially it's just a copy of the original uh, filing and then the copy of the judge's ruling. That's been filed with the Arizona uh, Court of Appeals. They will file more documentation in the next couple of days with, with specific issues that they want the appeal, appellate court to address. They're, in that filing, they said they're also going to either file with the Arizona Supreme Court or ask the case to be transferred. So they'll be, they'll be bringing this case before both the appellate court and the Arizona Supreme Court. Wow. I, um, Carrie Lake what? said she is not going to quit on this. Good. She is going to uh, expose this, this fraud. Good. She's hearing from people all over the state, all over the country who are supporting her. They want her to keep going. They feel like they don't have a voice. They feel like they're, the elections are being stolen and they really appreciate everything she's doing. So Good. she's not going to well, quit. She's going to keep like going. It's like the one county. I mean, it's representative of this whole thing that we hear more about Arizona than any other state. Yeah, it's well, going Maricopa on in all county the other is, states, but at least. Yeah, 60% of the voters in Arizona, the state of Arizona live in Maricopa County. Uh, and it's it's rife with fraud. Yeah, uh, I've lived here for 10 years. and. We have a lot of problems with our system and everyone knows it. Uh, and it's it's going to be exposed sooner or later. Got one more update. So sure. Abe Hamaday, there's an update on him. Abe Hamaday is a candidate, Republican candidate for uh, Attorney General, Arizona. He uh, lost his election by 511 votes. They did a recount. Uh, and and the, they just came back with the numbers from the recount. He had, the recount is showing that he lost by, I think, 230 votes. Mm. Um, there is, there is, there's a problem in that the counties are responsible for recounting the ballots, and then they're supposed to take their numbers and file them with the court under seal. Abe Hamaday tweeted on the 23rd of December that K uh, that Katie Hobbs was actually taking the numbers from the recount and she was, um, I would say, diverting them to the Secretary of State's office for reconciliation, which is a violation of state law. State election law says that when a recount is done, the, the, not, the, ta the numbers from the recount have to go straight to the court. They can't go to the Secretary of State's office, which is what Katie Hobbs did. So Abe tweeted out this morning that he and his legal team are evaluating their options and we'll see what, what comes of that. Wow. Uh, Mark Finch, is, I believe, is, is appealing is, his case too. Sorry, go is, ahead. 
Well, isn't she in charge of the, isn't she the Secretary of State herself? She is. So she was sending it to her own office to fix. Yes. Yep. I mean, fox in the hen house, man. Yeah, so we've got, we've got problems, but there are people here in Arizona who are at least willing to fight the good fight. Good. And try to get this, uh, all this uh, election fraud exposed. And if, if you want to help out, uh, number one, you can pray. Number yeah. two, uh, you know, follow Carrie Lake on social media. She's on Twitter. She's on True Social. She's got an official Telegram channel, and you can you can support her financially because there's uh, it, it, big legal costs involved in appealing a case to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is where this case may be headed. So it could, if if she has to keep appealing, she can go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh yeah. That's yeah, really she has said from the outset, if she loses, she's just going to keep appealing all the way to the Supreme Court. Good. Yeah, so we need to make so I, I assume her uh, address where you can support her is it on all those places where you can yep. donate uh, <laughs> If you want, I can I can look it up. Oh, yeah. So she's got a link pinned at the top of her true social, and it's secure.winred.com forward slash Carrie dash lake dash four dash Arizona. So you can grab that from Truth Social from her account. It's yeah, at the top it's, it's, it's her one. pinned post at the top of her page. Okay, so you all will have, once she puts that up, you'll still have to copy it very carefully because uh, that's a long one. So, but we'll put it on the screen and probably put it in front of, and you know, they take both of our names down or something and put it up there for a little bit. So that's good. Well, I hope we'll support, I'm certainly going to support it for sure. So. Well, that's really good. Well, let's jump into what you're uncovering or what they, what you can report that's being uncovered in, uh, once Elon took over. The Twitter files? Yeah. I, I think it's fascinating what Elon is doing on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm shocked. As, as well, are a, lot a lot of people, people wanted to paint him as a, as a black hat, as a not good guy. But what he's doing is, is he's being a tool in the hand of the Lord, as far as I can tell, right now, anyway. Yeah, I, I I'm not a fan of the the, the black hat white hat um, yeah. evaluation. I, I don't really like that way of viewing people because people's uh, people don't generally uh, behave. They're not all good or all bad in that probably. way. People aren't all good and all bad. I don't I don't yeah. know anyone yeah. who is 100 benevolent and altruistic all the time. Right. Uh, even good. President Trump probably does some things that are a little bit uh, self-serving sometimes. And even some of the most evil people occasionally do something good, uh, out of some benevolent motive. I think it's, I think, I don't think it's a good idea to put black hats and white hats. I think it's, you know, I just prefer to evaluate people's actions and let their actions speak for themselves. A a lot of people, uh, I think it's a mistake to look at people's words and uh, evaluate them based on what they say, their words. Well, if you know anything about politics, you know that politicians, most of them, are very good orators. They're very good at um, giving good speeches, putting out motivational tweets. Uh, They appear to be good. They appear to be benevolent. And then in the back room, they're making deals with the deep state they're, um, you know, signing signing bills that allow human trafficking, drug trafficking, weapon, weapons trafficking, 
and all kinds of other uh, bad things. These people who appear to be good because of the things they say are actually um, doing some very bad things. Mm. I don't evaluate people on what they say. Yeah, that's good. I evaluate them on what they do. That's really good. And when I look at Elon Musk, he's doing things that are good. I know, I get it that, you know, he's the Neuralink, he's creating the Neuralink thing and all the other stuff that is sort of a step toward transhumanism. I get it. But he is, um, he's exposing corruption. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because we have, and that's the best explanation I've heard because you're saying nobody's all good, nobody's all bad. I had a father that was that way. He was evil, evil in other places and he was very good and in, in loving in certain spots. So it's like, but you're kind of saying that same thing that you can't just take Elon Musk and say he's therefore he's all good and everything he's doing is good. Right. But, but you love what he's doing with Twitter right now. Yeah, he's a, he is exposing corruption at the yeah. company that he owns. <laughs> like it's it's his company and he's putting out all this information and, and he's allowing liberal journalists to report on uh, the corruption. And a lot of it is actually creating problems for them. Because a liberal journal journalist, especially since the uh, you know Anons and, and Patriots have been banned from Twitter for the last two years, um, liberal journalists have kind of had their run, and Twitter has been their little kingdom, where they oh, are yeah. sort of in control. Twitter has been very favorable to them, amplifying their tweets, censoring and shutting down their opponents, and it's it, it's there has been very little opposition to their narrative on Twitter for the last two years. And now Elon is bringing back some of the conservative accounts that have been suspended. He is exposing how the FBI, Homeland Security, the White House have been, essentially they've infiltrated Twitter. Uh, even I think that the Defar Department of Defense was running a psychological operation, basically a propaganda operation on Twitter. And they wanted to put a skiff in place so, so that once their psychological operation was sort of exposed and people figured it out, they could use the skiff to cover their tracks. And what's a um, skiff? What do you mean by a skiff? A skiff is a, a secured, sensitive compartmented, compartmented information facility. It's a, it's, a, it's a room. A lot of them are portable. And you can have classified conversations inside of a skiff and it's not subject to eavesdropping uh you can't take phones and electronic devices inside of it it's shielded uh like it's basically like a big faraday cage only it's like the size of a room and they wow. give classified briefings in a skiff um so the defense department wanted to actually i guess put a skiff at twitter yeah. so that their people could go in and have classified conversations about what they were doing on Twitter and no one would know about it. And then they wanted to classify all of the emails and evidence chain of custody, uh, chain, chain of evidence about their conversations at Twitter, about their psychological operations that they were running. And did <laughs> and they, 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 did, did they, did, they didn't the get away with it? They, they tried, but well, it didn't happen? They, they, they got away with it, but now Elon is allowing this information to come out. Okay, wow. And you know, it did so much damage to the FBI that the FBI finally came out and said, hey, uh, in response to the Twitter files, 
we just want to let you know that if you don't trust us, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> so oh, man. CIA, FBI, all the three letter agencies, uh, Pentagon uh, now have egg on their face. And it's not because of us conspiracy theorists. It's actually the liberal journalists who are exposing all of this. So I think it's, Oh, is great. that true? Because I haven't followed it that closely. So the liberal journalists are getting a hold of this and reporting They're it. They're the ones who are reporting it. So the Twitter wow. files, there are, uh, let's see, hang on. <laughs> Let me get caught up. There's either nine or 10. Yeah. Uh, there was just another one the other day. They started the, the COVID files, how, how um, the government was controlling the COVID narrative through Twitter. And that was part 10. So... Each each installment of the Twitter files is a series. It's a series of tweets, anywhere from twenty to sixty or seventy tweets, where liberal journalists are allowed access to Dude. Twitter's internal comms, screenshots of their communications, their Slack channel communications, their emails. They have free reign and access to all this information, and they're asked to do a thread uh, on whatever information. Is interesting to them and what what they find. Um, early on, it was about um, how it was a lot of internal communications between people like Vijay Agad who, and uh, this other guy named Yoel Roth, who were at, sort of at the top of the trust and safety and essentially the censorship boards at, at Twitter and. Uh, a lot of internal communications about how they were doing, how they were thinking, how they thought through the process of this. Uh, I think Twitter files two, three, four, and five dug into the decision-making that led to President Trump's account being suspended. All right, so each each of these journalists did a thread. Uh, and you know what? Uh, and are they reporting going. fairly? Are they are they being are they coming? They're, they're for the most part they're they're op they're they're reporting pretty honestly. Uh, Matt wow. Taibbi is a, who did the first Twitter files part one, which was kind of an introduction to the inner workings of Twitter, how they moderated content, how the employees communicated with each other, and the government to censor certain accounts and, and certain issues. Um. Part two was done by a reporter named Barry Weiss. She's a, a leftist journalist. Mm, okay. And she talks about shadow banning, secret blacklists, how um, certain, like, you know, libs of TikTok, Dan Bongino, Charlie Kirk, and other people were shadow banned, blacklisted, and how their tweets were, you know, de-amplified. Uh, so she starts digging into how to specific accounts that Twitter was censoring, and again, how they came to those decisions. Twitter Files Part 3 was done by Matt Taibbi, uh, this, the removal of Donald Trump Part 1. and part. Uh, so Twitter Files 3, 4, and 5 dealt with the lead up to, and the things that happened at Twitter prior to Trump being suspended. Uh, let's see, Matt Schellenberger did Twitter Files Part 4, the removal of Donald Trump. Uh, and that was an interesting, uh, interesting process to look at because these, again, these leftist journalists, all of whom are Trump haters, are explaining in pretty good detail the steps that Twitter took 
to um, suspend accounts to and to twist their own rules to wow. fit their own political narrative. Help Elijah Streams continue to reach people around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Streams and the Elijah Streams podcast possible. Visit ElijahStreams.com slash give and become a partner today. So just give you a real short summary yeah. of what happened with President Trump. Uh, going into January 6th, there was a lot of internal discussion about, you know, with the, the protest at the Capitol and what was going on and the things that Trump was tweeting. The funny thing is Trump was literally tweeting out tweets like, you know, I want people to be peaceful. I want them to respect law enforcement. Don't hurt anyone. We have to do this respectfully. Uh, we don't, we don't, we do not condone violence. He's tweeting all this out. And the people at Twitter are literally accusing him of being a Nazi, uh, inciting insurrection. <laughs> like they're twisting everything he says because they just have such crazy Trump derangement syndrome that whatever Trump tweets out, it has to be bad. So leading up to, the, to their decision to suspend Trump's account, on January 7th, Trump put out two tweets, neither of which was an incitement to violence. He was simply said, he tweeted something about, uh, you know, that he respects, you know, American patriots and, and wants them to, you know, remember that they need to peacefully assemble and all this. The, the people at Twitter Trust and Safety reviewed his tweets and they said he did not violate terms of service. Uh, nothing he tweeted on the 7th of January was a violation of the terms of service. What Vijay Agad and Yoel Roth did was they said they were getting a lot of pressure internally because almost all of Twitter employees are pretty extreme uh, leftists and mm -hmm. liberals. So what they did was they said, well, if we assume that by patriotic Americans, Trump means uh, terrorists, his what? terrorist organization, then we can call him the leader of a terrorist organization and we can suspend his account permanently. And that's literally what they did. They, in, in their internal communications, they took his, his tweet addressed to patriotic Americans and they interpreted that as a dog whistle to terrorists that Trump was tweeting to a terrorist organization as the leader of a terrorist organization. And based on their determination that he's a leader of a terrorist organization, they suspended his account. Jeez. Are the, and the and, liberal reporters, and, go ahead. And because, because they, made the, they made the inference that Trump is a leader of a terrorist organization, they also made the inference that 70,000 of us are probably more. But the political article talked about 70,000 QAnons, people like me, uh, <laughs> General Flynn, Sidney Powell, and everybody else who got their account suspended within the next 24 hours, we were all suspended along with Trump. I assume, they didn't say this in the Twitter threads, but I assume that they suspended us because we are the terrorists that Trump was talking to. So if you, if you, if you tell the public that Trump is a leader of a terrorist organization and you suspend him, you, have, you also sort of have to suspend his followers. That's why we all got, I, again, it didn't come out in the, in the tweets, but I assume that's why a lot of us got suspended. And they are reviewing 
the accounts that got suspended in that whole uh, 48-hour cycle. And over the next 30 days, they're going to be reinstating a lot of the accounts that got suspended well, the, that the, did the, not violate the terms of the service. Liberal Hopefully my account will be one of them. The, the liberal reporters who are writing this up, do they have a, what, what do I, how do I want to ask it? Do they have a bias or a bent or a direction or do they feel like, are they, or are they saying this is their bent? This is truly not fair. What, what is their bent when they write a, this? A story? lot of them are being quite honest about it and they're kind of shocked and disheartened at the, at the way in which rules and policies are disregarded and where the people at the top virtually do whatever they want, irrespective of uh, the, the company's own policies. Uh, the, the, the reporters who are, who are doing the threads, for the most part, are, are playing it pretty straight mm. and they're not making excuses. They are, they're, they're telling it like it is. I almost wondered if there would be, if there would then begin to be a crescendo of more and more reporters trying to get the next scoop um, so that they can get their name in lights too when, when they reveal more crap that's going on. I don't know. Yeah, there... And I, I don't know how Elon has chosen yeah. the, the reporters who are doing the Twitter threads, but they just started the COVID exposure uh, that's Twitter Files 10 that dropped a couple days ago. That reporter is um, not quite on board with what actually happened. He okay. is he is framing this discussion more in the traditional liberal uh, view of you know that like here's an example. They 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 looked at the things that Trump did when he was president regarding COVID, and the things that Biden did as president with COVID. And the only thing Trump really did is with Twitter as far as COVID was asking when people were panicking and going out and emptying the store shelves because they thought this was like some apocalypse. The White House asked Twitter, is there any way that we can uh, try to mitigate the panic buying that people are doing? Is there a way that we can we can uh, you know assure people that this is not the end of the world and they don't need to go and empty the grocery stores? That's like that's the only thing that was mentioned that the Trump administration, mm. the Biden administration, went full Stalinist uh, Nazi, just take over. We want these accounts suspended. These people are putting out misinformation. They suspended a lot of accounts and a lot of tweets from doctors and medical experts, some of whom were citing the CDC's own research. But anything that didn't fit the the White House official COVID narrative was subject to being uh, de-boosted, shadow banned, accounts suspended, tweets labeled as misinformation. There was a full-on campaign to fight anyone who was putting out any narrative other than the official COVID narrative of the White House under, under Biden. And like I said, the first series of tweets dropped a couple of days ago. And Musk said there's a lot more to come on COVID and Fauci and how uh, the White House and probably other players um, manipulated the public conversation on COVID. And that'll be coming out over the next well, couple and, weeks. And Elon uh, did one of those things where he said, my pronouns are, what was it, prosecute, prosecute Fauci? Fauci. Fauci. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. And he's not pulling any punches then. 
He's saying Elon this is, is how I not feel about pulling punches. Yeah, uh, he's tweeting Pepe memes, and he is, uh, you know, for a guy who calls himself sort of a a, a moderate libertarian, uh, he's. I think what's coming out um, is is he knows is very damaging to the narrative that the mainstream media and the left have been pushing for the last five or six years. It's it's impossible for him to embrace any of that anymore. Um, he is he has taken measures to suspend the accounts of a number of journalists wow. who were um, posting links to the live time real location of his of oh, his right. car and his jet. So there's a couple of accounts uh, on social media that that are using software that tracks his movements in real time. And essentially, they're doxing him. And Elon Musk said they're putting out assassination coordinates for That's me really and, and my, you know, my family. His son got into uh, a, a hairy situation. His son was being driven by someone, and the real-time coordinates were being put out on his son. And some crazy person uh, stopped the car that he was in, jumped on the hood, and created some kind of a. a, a there was probably an altercation. And a lot of these, well, Keith Oberman, a bunch of other these journalists were posting links to uh, the live, real-time location of Elon, yeah. his jet, and his car. And Musk suspended them for doxing. Yeah, good for and him. And he told them, look, if you do this, if you put out real-time information about my location, you're going to be suspended. That's that's, that's a violation of the doxing good. policy. And good, he suspended good. a bunch of them for like, you know, three days or seven days. And they I went. Mean, I, I would have. I would have canceled that thing. I mean, he's being extremely kind to only suspend them for a few days. That's. Are you kidding? That's all they got. Yeah, like, that, they were. They went on you know, Mastodon and other websites and other other social media platforms, screaming and hollering that Musk is, you know, literally Hitler because he's taking. Uh, he would dare to take action against mainstream trusted journalists who are oh, just man. reporting oh, the news and information so and he's, he's like and elon is just trolling them like wait a minute so when someone when a conservative journalist gets suspended when the new york post gets you know their tweets taken down one of the oldest newspapers in the country gets their tweets taken down labeled suspended and, and their links uh have been blacklisted that's okay but if it happens to you well, that's just tyranny. We can't. That's so. Dumb. So it's been it's been very interesting watching Elon interact I'm looking, with. I'm looking now the, at the, the hypocrites on the left. You have what did you uh, talk about the Hunter Biden laptop story? What were you going to say about that? Yeah, the Hunter Biden laptop story. That was uh, that's one of the threads that they did uh, was how Twitter made the decision to suspend uh, the New York Post's Twitter account. How they took down the story, and then that, of course, there's a similar story on Facebook and YouTube and all the other social media platforms that took same, the same action. To kill a Hunter Biden laptop story. Interesting thing: this whole thing was an operation set up by the U.S. intelligence community, uh, specifically the FBI. And James Baker is one of the main culprits in all of this. So Baker mm. served as chief counsel of the FBI under James Comey. Baker uh, was criminally investigated for leaking 
classified intelligence to really? reporters really? in in Spygate and, and and under the you know the Russia Gate thing. Baker was criminally investigated and probably pled guilty to several charges. Anyway, Baker ended up being deputy chief counsel uh, for Twitter, and he became heavily involved in what, what in, in in setting policy and running uh, running cover at Twitter to the point where Baker was found to have been intercepting the information that was being sent to these reporters by Elon. Baker was actually intercepting the tweets, the information, editing it, taking certain things out Gee. and passing it along to the reporters. So this is after um, Elon buys the, he doesn't realize yes. that he's got an enemy in his midst. Of course, he has he a lot of them. He, he said he didn't know that Baker was doing this. Uh, Baker was intercepting the information being given to journalists to do the Twitter files. Baker then got fired. Right. So the, the Hunter Biden laptop thing. Basically what happened is um, FBI put a ton of pressure on Twitter to um, be alert for a Russian influence operation uh, coming into the 2020 election. Right. They were still pushing Russia, Russia, Russia. And when Twitter told FBI, look, we're not seeing anything. We're literally got no activity by, by what we believe to be Russian accounts pushing any kind of disinformation. We're just not seeing it. And FBI kept on telling them there's Russian disinformation. It's coming out. It's going to try to influence the election. You need to be aware. And Twitter kept saying, we're not seeing it. It's not happening. We're, we're literally, we have nothing. The Aspen Institute, with the assistance of the FBI, in September of 2020, a month before the election, let's see, September, September, a month before the Hunter Biden laptop story broke, Aspen Institute put together a tabletop uh, war game exercise explaining how, and showing and demonstrating how Twitter should react in the event that a scandal broke out involving Hunter Biden right before the election. All right, this is in September and the election was in November. In September, the FBI was already had already created a scenario where a Hunter Biden scandal was going to break right before the election. Yoel Roth and other people from Twitter attended this tabletop exercise at the Aspen Institute, and they were basically given the FBI's game plan on how the story was going to break, how they should handle it, how the media should control it, and how to tamp down the message and all the steps to take. And then a month later, the New York Post publishes the Hunter Biden laptop story and Twitter followed exactly all the steps that were put out in this war game thing a month earlier. They'd already gamed it out. They, they had already gamed it out. They knew exactly how they were going to take care of it. And, and you know. I mean, that, that itself that's just, is, that is that's, how, a tre that's treasonous. That's that's a coup. That's an attempt. That's what the deep state is doing on social media and they have been doing for years. Well, I, some people are going to go to prison for a long time and some may, you know. I think depends, so. Depends on the level of treason, but when you when you attempt to take over a country, you know they this, they they did. They ran a coup against a duly elected president. That's treason. I mean, there are people that can be executed for that. They're, I'm Probably. not saying it's going to happen, but it, it's a it's a uh, that's a kind of crime that you can 
you can be executed for is if you're ta taking it over. Do you know anything at all about the foreign interventions of, you know, I remember way back in the day we heard China was involved, Italy was involved, these different countries were involved. You know anything about that? I haven't asked you offline or anything. Yeah, other than what's open source, other than what Trump has said, I don't have any information on that. Okay. Just curious, curious about that. So, yeah. Well, uh, Dave, that's really, really good. Is there anything else you want to make sure you cover before we pray and kind of pray for the people? Uh, nope. I think we covered it all. I know there's people, what occurs to me that there's people that heard us talking about healing. Uh, and I'm not telling you how to pray, except I do want you to. There are people, this is a thought that's just going through my head is that there are people that go, yeah, but. I don't know if I have the faith to be healed. I always think it's me. That's what I think is people think, I understand that you may have authority to pray, but I feel like I don't have the faith to receive it. What would you tell people about that? I once thought exactly the same thing. <laughs> I, that's my testimony. My testimony is I never thought I had the gift of healing. I was so full of doubt and skepticism and unbelief when I started doing this mm, so good. Uh, back in 2008. I, I, I was exactly where those people are at. I didn't believe in healing, didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe I had the gift, didn't believe I was called or chosen, any of that stuff. Through reading the healing uh, accounts in the New Testament and having some conversations with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Lord straightened out my thinking on that. And then I just pursued it. I went after it. I, I was, you know, fortunate. I was working in a healthcare setting where I had a lot of sick people that I could yeah, pray for. Yeah, my goodness. And I just asked him, hey, you mind if I pray for you? And like 99% of the people I asked said, yes, absolutely. I even had some people say, I don't believe in healing, but if you think you can get me healed, go ahead and pray for me. <laughs> yeah, um, I love that, so you know. I would just encourage people to step out. And if you need some help, go to my website, go to prayingmedic.org. That's our ministry website. I have tons and tons of videos on there about power and authority, words of knowledge, um, what to do when people are not healed. I have a video literally called what to do when people are not healed when you pray for them. Uh, I have another video that I did a couple months ago called everything you want to know about healing and miracles. <laughs> it's about an that. hour and a half where I just walk you through the the biblical perspective on healing and authority, deliverance, all that. I, I make it real simple so anyone can understand it. Lots of people who follow me on Telegram have had really good success once they start to apply those principles. That's good. We we had uh, most of the show, we had prayingmedic.com. We just changed it to prayingmedic.org. I guess we had that wrong. Yeah, so I've got both websites. Okay, so my, both... my main website is prayingmedic.com, but the ministry website is prayingmedic.org. And where do they and where would they go to get if they wanted to order some of your books? Where would they go to that? Uh, both? All of my spiritual books are available on Amazon and okay. Barnes and Noble. Okay. And just do they just look under praying medic? They would type in yep, praying, praying medic, medic and they would all come up. Yep. And I you know I want to compliment you. Stars. You're very you're a very simple and to the point writer so i you know i've got i've got your both your books and i've ordered some of them on the electronic which i'm trying to teach myself how to what you know read it that way but it's it's very simple you you don't complicate things you simplify things when you write about so i appreciate the way you write and yeah you that's my, my goal is to take the abstract difficult to understand principles of you know of healing and miracles and hearing god's voice 
because th those principles are not easy to teach. They're abstract concepts, but I try to put them in concrete terms that anyone can understand. That's you know, idea. I want to call it healing for dummies, but sure. I think that, that series is already taken. So, you know, made sense. Yeah, yeah, it would be good because I'd be one, I'd be the taker <laughs> on that. So, well, Dave, maybe pray for anything that comes to you for the people, if you will, as we close out. I absolutely will. Yeah. All right, Lord, uh, bring your presence upon the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, Lord, bring your healing presence for deliverance. I command evil spirits to come out. I command ears to mm, be healed. Yeah. If you have tinnitus ringing in your ears, mm. I command evil spirits to be gone. Demonic yeah. devices to be removed. I command shoulders to be healed, torn rotator yes, cuffs healed, ligaments, nerves, tendons, cartilage, bones healed. Yes, I command hips to be healed. I command the spine to be healed, bones, discs, nerves in the spine healed. I command headaches to be gone, spirits of that cause headaches and uh, migraines. I command you to be gone. Lord, bring your healing presence and remove spirits that cause insomnia. If you have insomnia, the Lord wants to heal you. That's good. Lord, bring your presence upon them every night and let them sleep through the night. I command cancer cells to die. I speak death to all cancer cells and I command tumors to be cast into the sea. Okay. Lord, I thank you for your healing presence and your goodness. And I believe you're going to heal the viewers in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, and I appreciate it. I was thinking, you know, I, I was born in 1955. So I remember in the 60s seeing Oral Roberts. He's a great man of God. So I'm not in any way dissing him, but he has methodology was he would shout and he would say be healed and he would shake the person again i'm not discrediting him at all but i'm saying i learned later on especially with the vineyard that that uh, that uh, the devil's not hard of hearing he can hear you and when you when you exercise authority and that's what you just did right you just right. exercise authority right. you didn't have to shout it and again again i'm not dissing anyone that shouts it i'm just saying there's more than one way to get this thing done, and yep, and just speaking it out—that's that's very instructive to me. Well, you know, the, Steve, the funny thing is, um, I, I worked in a healthcare setting, and believe it or not, it's not very acceptable to roll your gurney through the hallways of a hospital, screaming and shouting at demons for telling them to leave. <laughs> I, I had to do most of my prayer stuff kind of on the down low. Like be quiet and not be very. That's really good. Um, really I was good. praying for people in the emergency department and That's praying really for people good. in nursing homes. And in that setting, you can't be loud and demonstrative. You have to be kind no. of quiet and yeah. unassuming. So that's, that's that really was the good. model that I Prayer's just. Prayer. You know, I was. People know that I I came close to death and I came out of this in 2013. But for seven years, I kept losing weight. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. I finally had five sinus surgeries and then I could eat again. I just couldn't eat. And I got down to under 100 pounds, but I ended up in the hospital one time. They were trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I'll never know. She's a saint as far as I'm concerned. Some nurse, I was laying on the gurney and she came up behind me and she just said, are you Steve Schultz of the Elijah List? And I said, yes, I am. She says, do you mind if I pray for you? I don't know who she was, but she could be an angel for all I care because it was so wonderful to have someone care and just pray for me. Most people just want to be prayed for. I mean, yep. I think even most atheists would say, sure, that's okay. You know, they, it's very, very rare for people to say, no, I don't want prayer. So I Amen. love that. So, 
All right. All right. Well, God bless you. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully we'll, we won't wait so long next time. We get some more downloads with, especially with any of this, the Twitter stuff, the, the Maricopa County stuff. We need to get you back on. Give us, give us a live report. So appreciate it very much. Uh, Barry Wench will be our final episode for 2022. He is tomorrow, Friday. So do not miss that. It'll always be good and uh, good for the year in uh, Revelation as well. So have a great day, everyone. Thank you again, Dave. And we will see you all tomorrow. Okay, bye-bye. This has been Elijah Streams. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can listen to the Elijah Streams podcast at ElijahStreams.com on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Join us live every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific time at ElijahStreams.com on Rumble and Facebook. Elijah Streams is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahStreams.com slash give to become a partner today.